Well, hey there, good looking. Welcome to the only show that is guaranteed to make you an overnight success. What, I can't say that? Shit. Okay, I have to include this. Disclaimer, results may vary. Welcome to the show. I want to get real with you today about something. I'm depressed. And uh, it's not like I'm just in a bad mood. Depression is something I've been dealing with for a very long time. I would say most of my life now at this point. I'm coming into my, uh, I guess that my 45th year, I guess I'm in my 45th year. I guess that's how it is. I'm turning 45 in a couple of weeks or a week or I don't know, so this month, on <laughs> the 12th soon. So you might be watching this after or whatever, and after that I'm already older. Uh, but um, depression is something that I've been dealing with in various forms, uh, but I think it really started when uh, my father passed away. I was 13. I mentioned it before. I talk about it a lot now when I'm, when I'm speaking, but it was such a traumatic experience for me, just like losing any dear friend or loved one, of course, it's going to be hard. I think at that time in my life, especially when you're, when you're that young, when you're searching around for your own identity, you're trying to find your place in the world and losing a father figure, 13, losing somebody to look up to, to teach me how to, to use tools, to, to show me around and, and do fatherly things with me, father-son things, it just was non-existent. My mom ended up getting remarried uh, a couple of years later, but even though he's a great guy, it's, it's, he'll never replace my father. And I mean, he knows that. And it's just, you, you can't really step into those shoes at that age in a person's life and and really still have that same type of a father-son experience. And I, I know that's the case. Uh, I couldn't talk about my father's death until I was 19. <laughs> I remember. I, I couldn't even like mention it. I remember I was writing a song and I've never really written a, a song that was any good, but I was trying to put some lyrics together and it was just talking about how many years it's been since I was able to even mention his name or talk about that night that he passed because it was very sudden. It was unexpected. He had diabetes and was playing a soccer game and just basically collapsed. At the time, I was at an eighth grade dance. Yeah, living living it up or trying to live it up, you know, as awkward as I could. I think I had braces and whatnot, but I was having a decent time there, you know, had my eyes set on a particular female and of course very innocent at 13 or at least it was back then these these days it's a little different i guess the 13 year olds look like they're in college it's a little creepy but at that time it was enough to just like pass notes and say hey i like you you like me hey you want to be boyfriend girlfriend whatever i had my sights set on a particular female that night and i was hoping to go steady with her and make the move or you know passing a note circle yes or no that kind of a to solidify it, right? That would really solidify. If she circles yes, then, oh, we are a hot item at least for a week, right? Until things change. But that night I was there at this party and my best friend's parents, who uh, my best friend who didn't go to the school, her his parents came and grabbed me from the dance and said, hey, Ryan, you need to come with us. They took me to the hospital where I found my mom sobbing and basically just said, you know, he's gone, he's dead. Without getting into it, I don't want to make this very heavy about that but it's already too late then <laughs> it's too late and you know if there's anybody that's lost a father or a mother or somebody dear to them this could trigger something and going back to me being depressed i think that's when it started after that had happened i was more lonely than i had ever imagined i would ever be in my entire life i would find myself wandering the hallways during lunchtime which is our basically our only free time to do anything 
uh, where everybody's supposed to go to the cafeteria at school. I would not eat lunch. I would just walk by myself looking for someone to notice the pain I was in. And I would try to show people without actually telling them. I remember I used to find myself looking for the sharpest brick wall and punching it repeatedly until my fingers bled. I had a punching bag at home and I would do the same thing. I was trying to show that I was tough, that I could get through anything. And I tried to show it by being a man. And I remember that was just one of those lessons that was always taught to me and against what I feel like I should teach my kids now, especially my son, like be a man, you know, you don't have to, don't cry, don't show emotion. I was brought up that way. It was just old way of thinking. I I don't believe in that anymore. Uh, But at the time, that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to, to disguise my pain, my internal sorrow with physical pain. I would take it out on sports. I would try to be rougher than I should have been in sports. I would, I, I tried to find outlets for my pain. Uh, and then when I wasn't listening to Chicago or, or some other beautiful but depressing music, I was, I was just trying to find a way out. I would write letters to this girl that I was chatting with. And, and again, this was very innocent back then. And we would talk about the end. We would talk about death. We would talk about, you know, if, we both had our had our issues and i think although she hadn't lost anybody that i remember that she was trying to recover from i was always having this basically this existential crisis like i can't live anymore without you and i don't want to live anymore without you i mean we talked about if we can't find anybody we'll meet in 20 years you know you those movies talk about that and what what was it uh, you've got mail or what was the movie where the tom hanks it was probably every tom hanks film right where, where, where there's something about like the future and everything's going to be hokey dory. If we don't meet each other in this lifetime, then we'll meet the next lifetime. I was very, very sad. I was very, very lonely. And I think that's when my depression first started to kick in. I cried almost every day for years and years and years and got into college. I couldn't wait to get into college. I wanted to move as far away from home as possible and, and go to a fun college, something that would distract me from real life. And I think that's now that I'm telling you this, I think this is kind of a self-discovery that I'm having. And the reason I wanted to go so far away was not to get away from my parents, but was to get away from the pain of where I lived, knowing that I used to live here with my father. And I wanted to start a new life, a fresh life. Of course, we know now, and a lot of us learn as we get older, you can never run away from your problems. You just have to face your problems in order to move on and, and move through them, right? You grow through them. You can't get over them. You just learn to deal with them and try to find a positive way through them. And when you get to the other side, that's hopefully it's sunnier there. So I was looking for this greener grass, this sunnier life. And that's when I got into college and I went to Florida State University. And first thing I did was join a fraternity because I wasn't very good at making friends. I never had a lot of friends in high school. I was an introvert. I was very quiet and very different than I am now. Of course, I'm still very introverted. I like to to lock myself in a room and just have a lot of Ryan time every now and then. It's not as easy anymore with kids. But at that time, I joined a fraternity just to get as many new friends as I could. And I, 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 it was a great time, but I, it was a way to overshadow the pain that I was feeling because I was still very depressed. And I had days when I felt great and I had days when I felt terrible. Um, I don't think it was anything manic depression because I think that's more bouts of like for several days you feel great, for several days you don't feel great. And uh, it wasn't until later that I was actually diagnosed with anxiety and depression, but I was, I was trying to do everything I could to hide that pain. And I would take a lot of drugs. I would drink like a fish, not in the morning. I wouldn't do that. I, I, 
I never considered myself an alcoholic because I would just party every single night. But <laughs> you look back, I was pretty much an alcoholic. And I was taking drugs and I was doing whatever I could to put myself in a state of bliss, even for a short amount of time. Of course, the issue with that is a lot of these these drugs, well, I was doing a lot of ecstasy and the ecstasy was depleting my serotonin levels and it was making things actually worse. And the alcohol is a, a depressive, we know that. So I would drink and feel great for a couple hours and then the crash and then I'd be miserable, sobbing, looking to punch walls again, looking to take my pain out in some way. And I just didn't know how to control it. I didn't know how to move through this. I didn't know how to get to this other side. One day, or I should say one night, I took a lot of ecstasy and I wasn't trying to OD or anything, but I don't know if it was, ugh, I don't know, cut a certain way or in a bad way. It was different than this, the ecstasy I had taken previous nights, previous times when I had done this. And I thought I was gonna die. My heart was racing. My mind was telling me that this is the end. I got to a point where I told my friend, can you bring me to the hospital? Because I think I'm overdosing. And my friend brought me to the hospital, rushed me in there. And I said, I think I'm dying. I took a lot of ecstasy. I didn't care if I was going to go to jail because I took ecstasy. I didn't know what, the, what this looked like, what the repercussions could be by telling somebody that I did all these illegal drugs. But I would, I would rather put that forward and let them know fully what I did so that way they could help me the best to, they could in, with their experience. They hooked me up to all these heart monitors. My heart was just racing and gave me a blood test. And I can't remember the extent of what they did, but I really looked like I was going to die just with the amount of wires and tubes coming out of me. And they came back after doing their analysis uh, about 30 minutes later, an hour later. I don't know. I, I don't remember. I just felt like I was watching my life just disappear in front of me in a, in a fog. I was, everything was blurry. They said, Ryan, you're fine. Here's some Gatorade and a fucking Advil. <laughs> I said, I don't feel fine. I feel like I'm going to fucking die. I say, I don't know what to tell you. You're not going to die. Here's an Advil. You know, probably charged me about $50 for that Advil because it was from the hospital. And they gave me some Gatorade, which was just straight up Gatorade. I said, drink this, go home. I said, okay. I calmed myself down, took the Advil, took the Gatorade, chugged it down, went home, and I actually felt fine. Like, all right, I guess it was nothing. I guess I was a false alarm. Wow, how wrong was I? Woke up the next morning. I was afraid to get out of bed. I started to feel this panic, this anxiety come back. It was almost like an engine in an old car running constantly with this like, I could just feel my body vibrating and not in a good way, like in an anxious way, in a nervous way. I, could, I couldn't stop feeling like I couldn't breathe anymore. Like I had to focus on every breath. I felt like if I didn't focus on every breath, that I would fucking die, that I would just stop breathing. And when I was a kid, early, early on in my life, I, I, I was thinking about this recently. There was a time where I had some kind of sickness. I don't know what it was. It, was, it didn't last very long, but my throat would close up for about 10 to 20 seconds at a time and I couldn't breathe and I would be choking for no reason. And I remember I, I, my mom rushed me to the hospital and I, again, I thought I was dying. And at that time I really was having issues and I don't know it was, I don't remember it ever being diagnosed with anything, but 
my throat would close up and I had to, they put me in an oxygen tank for three or four days. That happened twice. And I must've been eight or nine, I'm thinking, seven, eight or nine. I can't remember how young, but never forgot that. And choking is just not a way I want to go. And when I feel anything, even sickness, I get freaked the fuck out. If I start to feel like I can't breathe, it reminds me of those times. Like I have PTSD from that. I guess that would probably be what I have. So going back to that morning and feeling like I have to focus on every single breath. Like I didn't want to go to class. I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to do anything. I finally would get myself up out, out of my bed and uh, go do something. Uh, usually I would just wait around till watch movies all day, wait around till night and force myself to go out and hang out with some friends, try to put on a happy face and a smile and drink. And I would drink to try to hide the pain that what I'm feeling now, this anxious panic feeling that's not going away. I lived like this, afraid to leave my room, not even just my apartment, but my room for probably two months until I went back to the doctor. And I said, I think I'm dying. I don't know what's happening. I'm afraid to do anything. And my body is not settling down. I have this constant feeling that I'm in motion, that I was literally having panic attacks when I was driving. Like if I had to get in a car and drive anywhere, I would drive. And then suddenly the world would start spinning around me and everything would go blurry. And I would get in a state of panic for no absolute reason. Absolutely zero. I would have to slam on the brakes, pull over to the side of the road and start breathing and start focusing on my breath thinking that I was going to die, thinking that I was going crazy. You might have heard, heard people talk about panic attacks before. You feel like you're going to go fucking crazy. You feel like you just can't control it anymore and that like your head's going to explode, that you're just going to lose sense of reality and who you are. And that's what it feels like to go through. And that happened several times, every single day, multiple times a day. And I didn't want to leave my room. I felt safe in my room. I finally made a doctor's appointment. I went to the doctor a new doctor, like an actual doctor, not an emergency doctor. And I told him what was happening. I told him I took all this ecstasy. I was very forthcoming with everything that I'd done, everything that could be the cause of this. And he said, you know, Ryan, I think this could be, you know, I think you might be depressed. And I think these are panic attacks. We're, we're seeing a lot more of these now. This is, uh, it's a new development <laughs> in, in, in life and people are experiencing more and more anxiety and panic attacks and they're having them for no reason. And he started to explain what he was learning. And mind you, this was in 95. This was before it was really widely accepted that panic attacks were actually a thing, that anxiety attacks were a thing. And that's why, for no other reason than I can imagine, why these emergency room doctors were, were not even telling me that it could be a panic attack. I know their job is to make sure you don't die in front of them. Yes, that's their job. But at the, if they had known more about maybe this is a panic attack, maybe you've just fucked up your serotonin so much that your body just can't regulate its own happiness and its own level of joy that's somewhere that equilibrium, maybe that's the reason. Maybe that's why they didn't tell me because they didn't know. They didn't know what it was. Or maybe it's just not their job to know that. If you're watching this and you're, you work in the ER and know somebody does, let me know why somebody wouldn't tell you. Maybe go check up with their doctor. You're here for a reason. Go find out what it is. But we, you're not going to die. Leave. So this doctor told me, I'm going to put you on some medication. I think it's going to help you. And I said, please, anything. I will take anything. And he said, you know, of course, don't do don't, don't, don't any more drugs. Go easy on the drinking. And uh, it's going to take two or three weeks to kick in. And I'm like, fuck, two or three weeks to kick in. Okay. But it's something. 
So he gave me this medication. I think it was like Zoloft or, or something. I've, I've, I've had numerous medications since then because they all have different side effects. And so you find one that actually doesn't have any side effects. But along the way, you're going to find what works and what doesn't. So I had this, I think it was Zoloft. And I locked myself in my room again. You know, I managed to get to a class here and there. But overall, I was kind of failing miserably not studying, not taking classes, not going to labs, whatever I needed to do, et cetera. I was doing the bare minimum to survive and to live my life. You know, I'd go to the kitchen, make some food, but then I would retire back to my room. I was just waiting patiently in a state of anxiety, in a state of panic, in a state of focusing on my every single breath. Like it was a job, like that was my full-time job. Don't stop breathing, Ryan. Don't stop breathing. And then sometimes I'd feel like I'm going crazy, but in my room, watching like Jurassic Park on <laughs> replay. It was one of my movies that I would just put on and that an Independence Day, maybe these end of the world movies aren't the best thing or, you know, Jurassic Park, monsters eating you and whatnot. I had this sound system that I really liked and it, I just felt safe in my room, in my tiny little room. After two to three weeks, I started to feel better. Started to work. And I finally start to get a little bit more normalcy in my life. My equilibrium was more intact. And that was the start of this journey to now. Like I, I, ever since then, I have been on medication, different medication, because I had tried, I guess every, every medication, as I said, has different side effects. And I decided that Zoloft was giving me this weird, I would have these night sweats and all these things. It was working, but, I, but at the same time, these different, I don't know, different things, different uh, medications. I don't know why I could, it took me so long to say that. I was trying to think of particular names but all these different kinds of Prozacs. And at the time, Prozac was just too expensive to buy. You couldn't buy it. You'd have to get some kind of a generic and there weren't really that many options around. So we would try to find one that didn't have a side effect that was gonna really cause me issues. And then of course I would take one and it would make, give me insomnia. Uh, it would feel better, but I wouldn't be able to sleep. <laughs> and that would eventually catch up as well. So every medication has its issues and I even tried to get off of them several times. They give you like a, a formula for slowly moving down in a lower dose. And then, and then you're finally off it and you feel great. And then two to three weeks later, like clockwork, I would start to get this like feeling like the engine's running again, like this motor's running, my whole body, body's vibrating. I'm focusing on every breath. I feel like I can't breathe. Terrible, terrible feeling to live with. And it was a 24-7 feeling. It would not stop until I started taking the medication again. So every single time I would start taking the medication again, I would try different medications. I would try lower medications. And if that didn't work, I would try a higher dose and I finally found this perfect dose in the middle and I've just come to grips with, I don't think I'm ever gonna get off this, but I'm okay with that because right now there's not a lot of science to prove. It's really going to affect my life in the long run or the longevity or create cancer. We don't know all that stuff yet. I mean, we're, we're learning as we go, but the alternative is fucking terrible. So I am good with this right now. But that leads me to today. The last couple of years, it's been a shit show. We all know that. It's been, uh, we've been, we've had fear. We've had things happen to us and our families. We've had differences of opinion politically between friends, between loved ones, again, again with family. And I've experienced a lot of these and we all have it. It's not something we could run away from no matter where you move to or who you hang out with. It's all around us at all times. We just try to keep our head on straight. But at these times, and also being a father, and seeing your kids growing up in this world that's terrifying and I'm so scared and I have these feelings of regret sometimes when I look at them thinking about how hard their life might be and it scares me as a parent that I do the right thing by having kids. And then I also think about 
you know, they're, they're going to experience a really hard world, but they're not going to know a different world. And, you know, one of my kids could be somebody that saves lives, that could affect people in a positive way, that could change the course of where I feel like our world is going at times. And I think it's also just being a protective father too. You know, we, we all go through tough times in our life and, and uh, during the Cold War and everything, there's always that, that impending doom. Uh, I feel like, and we just got to do what we can to smile, stay positive and, and work through it. I've just been having a really rough time with this. And anybody that deals with panic and depression understands where I'm at. I do my best to stay positive, but there are days when I just can't, I can't take life. I feel like I'm having an existential crisis. I feel like what's going to happen when I die? Where are we going to go? What's the point of all of this? I, I have faith and then I lose faith and then I have faith and then I lose faith. I believe that there's more and then I don't believe that there's more and then I believe that there's more than I don't. I look at my kids. Am I doing the right thing for them? I need to be a positive role model for them. I need to be strong for them. I need to show them love because if they see me scared and fearful, then they're going to feel scared and fearful. And I want them to feel fearless. No matter what faces them in life, I want them to be fearless and enjoy life to the fullest more so than I ever enjoyed life. And the only way I feel like they're going to be able to do that is if I am that way, because they are copycats. They see what we do and they copy what we do. They become who we are. We can tell them something, but if we show them something different, that's what's going to resonate with them. So I'm not going to lie. I've been crying almost every day, not, not just out of the blue, something triggers it. Whether I read a passage about a father-daughter relationship. I'm sitting with my daughter at night and thinking like, this could be the last time I ever see her. And I know it's a tough way to live, but it's also helping me to really <clears throat> capture the essence of that moment and appreciate that moment. And I want to make sure that I'm just doing the right thing. Uh, and I also want, I, I was listening to this podcast, talked about, it was a podcast about filmmaking. It was a smartless podcast about filmmaking and Michael Moore was on there and he, he mentioned something. He wanted to, to, about what kind of movies he wanted to make. He said he wanted to do something that scared him. If, if what he wanted to create didn't scare him, it wasn't the right topic. And he started to ask himself, what is the thing that scares me the most? And I'm going to do that. And I was thinking about me and my podcast and my journey. Where am I going from here? Who am I, Ryan Whedon? So I asked myself that question, what scares me the most? And why should I share it? What do I need to share that scares me the most? And it's my journey with depression. It's my journey with anxiety. It's my journey with how it affects me every single day of my life. Because you only see one side of me. You see how I'm happy. You see how I come across and I'm smiling because I don't want to come across and be sad all the time. It's, nobody wants to watch that. But it's something that we need to talk about because I'm not sad all the time. I have moments of deep darkness and depression followed by moments of complete ecstasy, complete joy, appreciation for who I am and what my life has become. But I also want to let you know, if you're out there and you need to hear this because you suffer from anxiety and depression, and a lot of people do in the world, a lot of people do, but it's not something we talk about. I'm trying to open that topic because it's near and dear to me. And with the rise of suicide and decline of mental health in the US, especially in the ages of high school and teenage years, that people need to know that there are brighter days. There are sunnier days. There is joy in life. Find that joy. Surround yourself and know that you will get through this. You will get through every day because it is beautiful on the other side. And although I do have these tough moments, I love my life. I love my kids. I love my family. I love my business. I love who I am becoming. 
And I love you for listening. Wow. Thanks for listening. And since I can't see you, what I can see is your five-star review. You see what I did there? I planted that in your brain. Inception, right? Good movie. Please share this episode on social, take a screenshot, something, and tag me so I can repost it and share it back. Because sharing is caring. Till next time, my friend. And remember, you are better than your best excuse. Don't let anyone or anything stand in the way of your own personal greatness. Now go, show the world what you got. You are awesome. Okay, I'm going now. Bye.